Hi, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Sci-Fi Wise Guys. My name is Anthony. And my name is Chris. Yes, Chris. Today is a historic occasion or anniversary. Do you call it an anniversary if it hasn't happened yet? I don't know. A planniversary? No. Planniversary. I got got nothing. You got nothing? So today is, as all of y'all already know, because you saw the name of the podcast, the title of the podcast, before you started playing it, today is First Contact Day. A special day, a very special day, in which humanity uh, was able to join the rest of the spacefaring galaxy uh, and universe, you know. They took a big step. I don't know if they yeah. completely integrated right away. <laughs> took a little while, but it's definitely the, the biggest moment there. We discovered a community larger than ourselves, which uh, has always been the hope in the most sci-fi stories that as soon as humanity realizes that they are not alone, uh, that we come together and form a better society. So uh, another reason yeah. to celebrate First Contact Day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for y'all not in the know, in Star Trek, in the lore, on April 5th, 2063, Zephram Cochran successfully tests his warp engine and goes faster than the speed of light right as a Vulcan ship is flying by. They see it and they swing on by and say hi. They're like, what's up with you guys? And the rest is history. Actually, the, the next couple of decades aren't that great. And then it eventually <laughs> gets better. But but it is a, a holiday celebrated in the Star Trek universe you know, as First Contact Day. So here we are celebrating it 42 years early. <laughs> There's got to be a really rocky 42 years if the rest of the Star Trek lore pans out. I think there's like 20 years of Civil War, not Civil War, yeah. excuse me, uh, World War. We already had the Eugenics War, right? Yeah, the Eugenics Wars of the 90s technically already happened. Yes. Okay. Um, Next is a bunch of riots, which, hmm, <laughs> okay, I can see how that could work. And then, uh, yeah, World War Three, 600 million dead. Let's go. Nuclear Holocaust. All right. <laughs> And then it gets better, I promise. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> so, First Contact Day. We're going to kind of go over what First Contact actually is. I think it's First Contact is universal theory. But in the Federation, First Contact is celebrated not only as a holiday, but it's also a widely regarded and um, highly controversial subject like when is the perfect time for first contact yeah yeah typically is as far as i'm aware the vulcans didn't really have first contact protocol or policy uh they, they happened to be flying by earth or in the vicinity when zephyrin cochran who we've already mentioned from bozeman montana inventor of the phoenix which is humanity's first warp capable vessel ironically it was made out of a missile yeah, like a ICBM, a nuclear ICBM. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he flew it uh, with the help of, from some people. Yeah, some help from some people. That's a way of putting it. I don't know if he buzzed them or they just saw the warp signature and they decided to fly. You know, just hang around because I don't, I don't know exactly what happens. Right? Like they are they are just in the vicinity. Yeah, they were just flying by. If you recall, that's why they needed to take the like the need the mission needed to happen on April fifth because if it was mm-hmm. late, then they would miss first contact. Yeah. And so. the Vulcans did have, uh, which later the Federation adopted, they did have a policy of only making contact with warp-capable civilizations. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, out of all people, the Vulcans would have that. <laughs> it's in the, fir- the first season of Enterprise. They go into it a little bit. They talk about mm. that. Okay. I've only seen like the first six or seven episodes of Enterprise. 
Yeah. I got a, I got a thing maybe, with Scott Bakula. Maybe if we have a special Star Trek episode, you don't talk about how you haven't seen some Star Trek. <laughs> Look, man, there's different levels of fandom. So First Contact, like I said, is highly controversial. Do you agree? Let's just go ahead and jump off the bat into okay. the deep end here. All right. Mix, mix a few metaphors. Do you agree <laughs> with the policy, Starfleet's First Contact policy, of only like having just straight out contact with another civilization only if they're capable of warp travel. Yes. Okay. No. <laughs> eh, maybe. Yeah, eh, uh, ooh. Well, there's always there's always complications. I think no later than that. Like, it's nearly impossible to not make contact once they're warp capable because they could just come to you, right? Right. It's a nice litmus test for whether or not the other civilization is ready to meet alien civilizations it's like oh they're out here already they're gonna run into somebody it might as well be us right Mm -hmm. i 100 percent agree with that however i think that in some cases you could make first contact prior to that because maybe a particular civilization just doesn't value space travel doesn't value exploration so they don't create the warp drive you know they never leave their planet or maybe their planet and moons but they're otherwise highly advanced. Do you make contact with them or no? I don't know. I don't think that's ever come up. Yeah. Well, it's always, <laughs> it always, uh, first contact almost always interferes with the prime directive. Almost. Which is AKA Starfleet General Order 1, the non-interference directive or the principle of non-interference. Do we want to debate the prime directive right now? Because I don't <laughs> think I have three hours. Uh, no, I don't, I, I don't have the time or the patience to debate the prime directive, but um First contact almost always indirectly interferes, and uh, there are some moments in the Star Trek canon where first contact is a necessary, um, albeit unplanned, event. I do and do not agree with Starfleet's method for first contact, only because there are some ethical dilemmas. <laughs> sure, but, sure. Uh, we'll get to that a little later. So, uh, Zephyrin Cochran, sorry, Zephram Cochran, what a name. Yeah. Who who picks the names? (laughs) Who who picks the names? Yeah, who picks A very special writer. A very, very special writer. Played in multiple series by multiple actors, most notably James Cromwell in the movie, and then Glenn Corbett, I believe, in TOS. James Cromwell, I think in his third Star Trek appearance. (laughs) Different actor, yeah. Same actor plays- I'm sorry, different character, yeah. Yeah, so this is third character. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, whatever, I guess. Yeah. I mean, when you're James Cromwell, I mean, do what you got to do. Essentially, in the 2060s, he and a couple of scientists get together and they start developing warp drive. At at this point, if I remember correctly, all spaceships or space-capable vessels of Earth are no longer leaving Earth. Well, uh, yeah. They were all all destroyed where the technology had been... um, wiped out in the third world war that's why khan and his deep space you know freezer yes ferry boat whatever that is <laughs> uh i guess i guess it's generation ship right or is it no it's just a cryo vessel it's just nope. yeah we had this discussion during that lower decks episode anyway the only thing that they had that could leave the atmosphere was in fact a nuclear missile it's even commented on in that movie it's ironic or poetic justice that a man who would bring about so much peace would use a weapon of war or at least the shell of one yeah to uh, accomplish that peace um i was watching age of ultron the other week and it was funny that uh uh, he talks about how people create what they hate the most so 
men of peace create weapons of war. It's just funny that um, a weapon of war would be used to create peace. Kind of neat. Yeah. Is that irony? I think so. <laughs> I think so. Ironically enough, Zephyrin Cochran, Zephyrin Cochran, in fact, hoped that the Phoenix would be such a success he would be able to retire to a tropical island filled with naked women. Those are his words, yes. <laughs> I, don't, I, <laughs> I don't think it's actually, uh, I don't think that actually worked out for him the way that he thought it no. did. No. Unfortunately, he became a public figure and a leader, <laughs> much of his, his dismay, if you will. I have a question. Yes. About the first contact. So, it, first contact for humanity. We already kind of discussed it. The Vulcans land. They shake hands with Zephyrin Cochran. He plays some rock and roll music for him. They have a couple drinks. Yada, yada, yada. They look the very the uncomfortable. Trek. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. The rest of the Star Trek timeline is formed. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie First Contact, spoilers. <laughs> the USS Enterprise E travels back in time and indirectly interferes, well, directly interferes with the process. And then uh, Jordy LaForge and William Riker have to actually help Zephyrin Cochran accomplish his mission. Okay. So in the Mirrorverse, additional spoilers. Are you about to get into the Shatnerverse? No. Or no? No, no, no. No. We don't have the <laughs> we don't have time for the Shatnerverse. In the in the in the mirror universe, they kill the survey team, right? Mm. They kill all the Vulcans and steal the technology. So Is that true? Or are you just theorizing? I don't recall that. Yeah, no, uh, I'm looking at the First Contact Day page on Memory Alpha. The Mirror Universe equivalent gotcha. of First Contact Day was also on April 5th. Instead of peacefully greeting the Vulcans, the Terrans slaughtered all the members of the survey ship. Nice. Okay. So in the in the Shatnerverse, the Mirror Universe happens at First Contact Day with Zephram Cochran flipping a coin to decide whether or not to tell everybody about the Borg. Oh, okay. Which obviously is not canon, but I always found very interesting. Hmm. And obviously, Mirror University tells them about the Borg, which is why they become more militarized and they actually defeat the Borg earlier than the Prime Universe actually makes contact with them. Oh, that's pretty I neat. I think is the way that goes. But, you know, those are a bunch of books I read as a child or yeah. a young adult, I guess. Well, my question was, if the Enterprise-E had to go back in time to help Zephram Cochran in the Prime Universe, does the... Because I don't think the Enterprise-E exists in the Mirror Universe. I don't know. I think at that, I think at that time... The Terran Empire is defunct. Yeah. But who goes back in time and convinces Zephyrin Cochran to shoot the, <laughs> the Vulcan survey team? I think the implication <laughs> is that that's just the way they were. Mm. Terrans are different than humans in that they are so aggressive. Okay. I was just thinking about it when I was doing my research. I was like, I wonder if there's a version of First Contact that goes the opposite way, where the Terran Empire goes back in time. And convinces Zephyrim Cochran to to do it, but to like murder these guys are going <laughs> to kill <Yeah>. everyone. <laughs> murder. Are the Vulcans not part of the Terran Empire? Spock was part of the Empire. I think they were pressed. You them. know, it's so weird the whole bit. You know, and he was yeah. Look, mm. we're not going to get into the continuity of the Mirror Universe. That's not what today's <laughs> for. That's a completely different day. It's just a funny thought exercise I had. But what we're going to do, we're going to go over some few. Short lists. I think the day that we we're going to rank our favorite Star Trek movies. We've been teasing it for so long. In order from first to last, we'll save that for Star Trek Day. But instead, what we're going to do is just kind of rattle off some top fives of each of us. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to start a timer. Uh oh. So we can't rant forever. You came up with a timer idea just for me, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, for myself as well. Sure, sure, sure. 
So I'm gonna get. We're each gonna have sixty seconds for each of our entries. Do you want to go first? I don't even know what we're talking about. So why don't you introduce it and then? This is gonna be our top five favorite Star Trek movies. Ooh, okay. You can put. You don't have to put them in order. It's totally up to you. Top five. So you're gonna make. A, you're gonna have to make a lot of hard choices. Let me know. Well, I'm gonna make a lot of hard choices. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I can come up with a top five in no particular order. I'm not actually no doing particular. a ranking. Just a okay. top a wad of movies that I'm gonna say are my top five. You can go first with number five, starting in three, two, one, go. Obviously, Star Trek VI: Undiscovered Country is in my top five. I'll be upset if it's not in your top five. I think it's better than Wrath of Khan. I'm okay with you disagreeing with that. It's got a little bit of everything. It really blends the old and the new, like, 90s-style Trek with the movies. And I just, I think it's great, especially coming off of the disaster that is Star Trek V. It was really nice for them to end on an up note, unlike other generations of Star Trek movies that did not end on an up note. Was that a minute? Yeah, that, yeah 20 we'll call seconds. It, we'll call it a minute. I also have Undiscovered Country in my top five. For all the same things you said, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on it, mainly because it introduces me to a character who is near and dear to my heart, General Chang. Mm. fantastic a a new way to portray Klingons I think that had not been really shown in any of the movies or the shows we also get our first instance of the spaceship that is one thing better than the Enterprise or the Federation ship that is sent to 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 take care of it that becomes a trope later on in other Star Trek movies so definitely appreciate that but yeah no all the same stuff okay well my second my top five would have to be Star Trek Insurrection which I know is not a popular choice, but I feel like it is the most Star Trek Next Generation movie. Generations is not a good movie. First Contact's a bit too action-y. It doesn't feel like Star Trek, but it's really, really cool with the Borg and First Contact and all that. I'm not going to talk about Nemesis, although I will defend it probably later. Insurrection does feel just like a longer Star Trek episode. with Moral dilemmas, the whole idea of immortality is played with. They make direct references to Deep Space Nine and the Borg attacks. I really, really enjoyed it. Plus, we get uh, Riker to shave his beard. And (laughs) shaved Riker is best Riker. That was a minute exactly. (laughs) Yes. Well, I mean, you know, we're going to edit these, so they're not going to be a minute (laughs) once everyone's listening. But yeah, that's my number two. Okay. My number two is, in fact, The Voyage Home, which is the most Star Trek, in my opinion, of the original series movies. It's got just a crazy plot. Time travel, sure, let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's this giant alien probe that can only talk to whales and is going to destroy the Earth because those whales are gone. I'm in. (laughs) Star Trek IV, uh, save the whales. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Spock being, he's dressed up as Jesus. He's the Messiah. I'm in. I'm all in. No, I love Star Trek IV. AD San Francisco. The Vulcan neck pinch on the bus, everything about it, it's great. So I'm in. Okay. All right. I get behind that. I think my number three would have to be Wrath of Khan, mostly because of all of the reasons everyone loves Wrath of Khan. He's such a great villain. It's just, I don't know. He's such an interesting character. I also like the pace of that movie. It's not slow. It doesn't drag like the motion picture, but it is very deliberately paced. It has a lot of atmosphere. It has a lot of just the visual storytelling is fantastic. It's at a high that when you mentioned that Star Trek Undiscovered Country, there's some tropes that it set, but the trope of trying to replace Khan with another villain. I just, I don't mm. think it's ever, it's never yeah. quite worked again. So, yeah, but they've tried. 
and tried and tried and then tried some more. So yeah, that's why it's in my top five. Fair enough. Wrath of Khan is also in my top five for all the same things you said. Uh, the I, I really enjoy Wrath of Khan because I think it's Shatner's best emotional performance. I'm saying that throughout all of his movies and all of his shows. I think Wrath of Khan is probably his pinnacle or his apex as an actor. You know, you get when you watch TOS, you dumps a lot of his emotion and even talks about it in interviews where he put everything he had into the character. But I think Wrath of Khan is where he finally figures out Kirk. And then every movie we get afterwards is kind of like trying to catch up to that. Sure. Yeah. No, I love Wrath of Khan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know you do. Uh, if this were ranked, this would be my number one. But since you already mentioned it, I had to mention it as well. So, yep, yep. <laughs> what number am I on? Four? Number four. Yeah. Number four, I'm going to go with Star Trek Beyond. Ooh. Yeah, I know. Like, pulling out the Kelvin verse out of nowhere. Okay. Star Trek okay. Beyond is fantastic. I like seeing Kirk, this version of Kirk, and Spock both deal with death from different perspectives. Kirk is feeling his own uh, mortality because he's now older than his father ever got. Spock is confronting his mortality because he literally just died. Uh, The the older (laughs) version of him. And at the end of the day, they save a space station, a really cool looking space station with the power of music and then go fight Idris Elba. So it's a fantastic (laughs) film. 10 out of 10. Fair enough. My next favorite Star Trek movie is actually Star Trek 2009. So I will I will stay in the Kelvin verse for this one. Mainly just because it's a it's probably the best reintroduction to a set of characters that we already know that I think we've had in a long time. That's always the fear when remaking a movie or a franchise is to are you going to get it right? And I think that for the most part my disagreements with JJ Abrams directing style aside, I think that every single Every single portrayal nailed the character that they were going for, and in some cases, arguably better than the original casting. And it's just a great Star Trek movie. Yeah, there's a lot of action. Yeah, it's kind of like Fast and the Furious in space, but it's a great modern interpretation of an old story. Okay. For my last entry, I'm, I'm really, really torn. It's kind of a toss-up right now in my head. So, I'm, But, I, you know, I'm going to have to go with First Contact. I know I kind of... I said some negative things about it earlier. It is a bit of an action movie versus uh, some of the other Star Trek films. Some would argue that it retcons Captain Picard's feelings about the Borg, but I don't know. He's such a reserved and guarded character anyways that I, I never I never saw that as an issue. It's got time travel. It's got the Borg. It's got Worf trying to ram a Borg ship with the Defiant, mm-hmm. which is everything we ever wanted to see. It introduced... Some of the coolest uniforms, if not the coolest uniforms that Star Trek's ever had. The whole atmosphere has changed. It's the last movie they made with actual miniatures instead of CGI, which so it just looks better than the movies that follow it. All around a great film. And without it, we probably wouldn't be having this podcast episode. So <laughs> there you go. My last on the list, like I said, it, it, like we said in no particular order, was in fact also First Contact. Oh, you um, just keep copying me. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, all all for the same things you said. I don't dislike it when Trek does action, mainly because we don't get a whole lot of it in the shows, at least in the older version. The budget the doesn't shows. really uh, yeah. go for it. Yeah. I really enjoy First Contact because I, I do enjoy the interaction between Picard and his psyche. Uh, it also has my favorite line in any Star Trek movie. Oh. Where Picard's dressing down Worf on the bridge and he calls him a coward and then Worf oh. steps to him and he's like, bro, if you were any other man, <laughs> I 
I would kill you where you stand. And if you watch all of TNG and you watch all of DS9, you really understand. There's like, a lot of gravity behind that moment. Yeah. Worf's like, bro, <laughs> bro, I'm just saying, if you were anyone else, you'd be dead. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you one honorable mention. Was there one that you were just like, oh, I, I don't know if I want to say this one or that one? Uh, I mean, it's it's Star Trek Five. I know everyone hates it. Oh, wow. I know. I'm sorry I, know, I asked. I know the Final Frontier is a terrible movie. For many years, it was the only Star Trek movie I had on VHS. For whatever reason, my dad lost, or we moved around a lot when we were kids, and we finally got to the U.S., he lost all of the other ones that we had. So the only one I had was the original, I believe, Paramount Pictures, CBS, like, logo movie. Okay. (laughs) And I've, I've seen Final Frontier, like, 50 times. So <laughs> fair enough. My my runner up is The Search for Spock. That's a good one. Uh, mostly because I think that it's the closest they ever got to having a better villain than Khan. So, oh, what's his name? Christopher it's not, Lloyd. It's not Kern. Oh, like the actual character's name? I mean, yeah. it's a Klingon, so his name starts with a K. It probably has an apostrophe somewhere in it. Cruge. Yes. I love him as a villain so much because, I, for one, I think he's smarter than Khan. He's the only villain... Save maybe the Borg Queen for obvious reasons that doesn't let emotions overcome him or get the better of him. Picard pleads for him to take his son up. Of course, he doesn't say it's his son. You know, beam my beam the boy up too, and he says no. And Kirk says, "But why not?" And he goes, "Because you want it." Like he's like, "No, like I'm not gonna let you even start to get in my head or even start to try to trick me." So he does get f- foiled. By the self-destruct sequence, so there's that. But I really, really like him, so I really enjoy. I really enjoy. I kind of disagree middle. a little bit with do. saying he's smarter than Khan, only because he has the opportunity to live, and he refuses to take it, and ends up falling to his own death. He's a Klingon. That's different. I'm not gonna. Come on now. I mean, <laughs> he chose death over dishonor. You're being insensitive to his culture right now. Look, I'm. I'm just saying he could have been the guy that killed Kirk. And he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. But so neither was Khan. So fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you know who killed Kurt? Some Kirk. old Elorian uh, <laughs> on some planet or moon. I can't even remember the name of. Uh, Viridian three. No, three or four or something. I don't know. I think Viridian three is. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Viridian three. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Either way. So those are our runners up. So, okay. Okay. Very cool. And I'm looking forward to everyone just. Ripping apart our opinions. How dare <laughs> we put Kelvin verse movies in there? Let them. <laughs> I mean, you did say Star Trek Five, so I guess that sets a sets me apart. I'm, Look, I'm man, protected. I'm just saying. It's just, a lot of people like a lot of things. We're gonna do another timer. We're gonna do this one for thirty seconds. Uh oh. And it's gonna be ships. Ships. Yeah, your top five favorite ships. Just favorite ships overall, or yeah, it favorite matter. versions of the Enterprise. Yeah, just your favorite ship. Okay. Yeah, I will go first this time. Okay. Uh, in no particular order, I have uh, in number five, Romulan Warbird, the modern Dideridex class from the TNG era. Just a fantastic piece of uh, kit and ship design. I love the open negative space in the middle of it. It's got the giant head in the front with a weird upside down triangle and the disruptors on the sides. Keeping with the Trek philosophy of always making sure the nacelles can see each other. Okay. I'm just going to get this out of the way early. The... USS Enterprise D. I don't know if I need to back up my opinion. I think everyone, I think everyone knows. <laughs> it's great. It's huge. 
It's very iconic looking. It's got one of the coolest bridges. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it does get taken out like really easily by some basic Klingon antique ship, but you know, there was, there's extenuating circumstances. It's, it's bypassing its shield. Yeah, sure. Yeah. My next on the list was actually the Enterprise D. <laughs> oh. Mainly because it introduced us to a concept that was cool in theory, separating the saucer section from the rest of the ship that was used like four times. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. It really did usher in a new ship design ethos for the Federation. So definitely. Def- I agree with you in every point. So Okay. Okay. My number two will have to be the Klingon Vorcha class. Mm. attack cruiser okay the bird of praise bigger better brother just i everything the bird of praise already in an awesome awesome ship very iconic design that's why it stuck around for so long i mean it starts in what star trek 3 and Mm -hmm. you see it all the way through deep space 9 yeah they just because it just looks good you know immediately everything you need to know about the klingons by looking at their ships and i think the vorcha class cruiser does the best job of that Especially when it's flanked by a couple of birds of prey to really show the scale. Well, speaking of, I have the Klingon bird of prey on my list. Very neat design, very particular. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen, anyone ever seen the the different versions, but it, the wings are maneuverable. They can uh, extend fully for cruising and then, I guess, angle down for maximum maneuverability. I don't know if that's an actual thing in space because, you know, there's no gravity. Well, there's gravity. You mean there's no friction. There's yeah, definitely I mean. gravity. There's no friction, yeah. <laughs> there's no gravity in space. Get out of here. But yeah, bird of prey for me. Okay, interesting. For my number three, I'm going to go with the Ferengi cruiser. Mm. I don't know if it has an actual designation or a name or what have you, but the Ferengi ships in general are just a very unique design. And I know that originally they were being introduced to be more long-term antagonists before they decided to just go back to the Romulans instead. But I like kind of the two-tiered look of the ship where it has kind of a crescent moon forward piece and then a big piece of hole and then a, a bigger crescent moon piece. I think it looks great. It's very mysterious. It's very alien, but then you get on board and it's got a bunch of Frankie on it. So it's just this weird, <laughs> this weird uh, contradiction where I think most Star Trek fans would consider the Frangi, for lack of a better word, inferior to the Federation Yet their ships are on par with the Enterprise D, so it's uh they're fun. I like the Ferengi as a as a race, and I really like their ship design. Man, that was Looks like great. two minutes. Was that two minutes? <laughs> that was a while, man. I'm sorry. It's fine. The Decora Decora class is that what it is? Yeah, the Decora Thank class. You. I was trying to I look, tried to look it up earlier, but you know I only spent like 15 seconds on that, and then moved on that's, to the next thing. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, my next ship is the Narada, heading back to the old Kelvin verse, which is the Romulan mining vessel, which <laughs> from the future goes to the past and becomes this unstoppable juggernaut, which the only reason why they are able to defeat it is because um, <laughs> they detonate the red matter in its in its hull, which causes a singularity, uh, which rips it in half. So, yeah, the Narada, captained by Nero. Yeah, Eric Banna. Banna. All right. Your next ship? USS Defiant. But which Defiant, Anthony? Obviously the one from Deep Space Nine. The only <laughs> war vessel ever, up to that point, the only war vessel made by um, and used by Starfleet. I think technically classed as an escort vessel designed to fight the Borg. It's got the cloaking device that, yeah, we're only supposed to use on the other other side of the wormhole, but oops, I did it today. 
If there's one thing that Captain Cisco likes doing, it's committing war crimes, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I love that little ship. Wow. It's really, really cool. It was a, a great addition to the show. Worf bunks on it. I mean, what else do you want me to say? Nothing. Okay, there you go. <laughs> My last ship is, in fact, the Stargazer. Not necessarily the Stargazer, but more of its class. Who's I think it's called the Stargazer. Class, no, it is right? a constellation class. Yeah, constellation class. Yeah, um, it's the first time we ever see the four nacelle look, which I thought is always really cool. I guess designed for quote unquote deep space exploration, but the Stargazer in particular because it's Picard's last command before the uh, Enterprise D. I mean, it was his only other command, was it not? You might be right. Yeah. Interesting fact, and this does not count towards my time. Interesting fact about the Stargazer, it was originally supposed to be a Constitution-class ship. Mm. But someone on set said, well, Picard has that cool four nacelle model in his room. Let's make it that. And if you ever <laughs> watched the episode, Jordy says, oh, it's a cons- Constitution-class ship. And you can tell it's dubbed over with the word Constellation. And they chose the word constellation because it was easy to dub over and had the right number of syllables and whatnot for the word constitution. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. There you go. Neat. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. All right. For my last, right? My last one. Yes. I'm going to have to go with the USS Enterprise NCC-1701. And as, as it was once so eloquently put, no bloody A, B, C, or D. <laughs> Oh, it set the standard, right? It's the OG, if you will. It is the original ship. It's had a couple of different redesigns, right? It has, you have the original look, you have the uh, the Kelvinverse version, you have kind of the visual reboot that Discovery did, and I think it looks great in all of them. It's just such an iconic ship. I love it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Our next top five is going to be top five captains slash commanders. Top five? So, yeah. So anyone who complains that Cisco isn't a captain... You can have on your list. I mean, there's only, I guess there are more than five. There's been some recent additions for sure. <laughs> I'm going to get the number one out of the way. Obviously, the best captain is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Enterprise D and E. And uh, I don't feel the need to justify my position. Your turn. I also have Captain Picard on my list of captains. Different man for a different era. A lot of people don't like him for various reasons, but um, I always thought he was the perfect man for the job. So. A lot of people don't like him. I don't know those people, and I don't want to know those people. <laughs> well, in, in comparison to other names that w- that might come up on this list, so. Oh, oh, okay. Well, yeah. the next name on my list is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Deep Space Nine is my favorite show. I know that's a little spoilers for if we do rank the shows here in a moment. He is a loving father. He deals with his personal issues with his with the passing of his wife, and he's. He doesn't coddle his his employees, if that makes sense. He's got a hard line, and he says it, and you do it. He doesn't yeah. take crap from anybody. I feel like Picard is more likely, Picard, Kirk, any of the others, are much more likely to be persuaded, while Cisco stays on the path, for better or for yeah. worse. And I, I I think that's an admirable trait, especially for a leader in his position. I also have Cisco on my list, believe it or not. I do believe it. You've just been copying me this whole time. A lot of the same reasons. Um, an additional thing I like about Cisco is is probably uh, we get a little bit of it in kind of the later episodes or the later seasons of TNG. But I think Cisco is the first time we really try to capture the psyche 
and the stress slash responsibility that comes with being a commanding officer in the, in Starfleet. You know, you talked about how he doesn't take any crap from anybody, but really you just, from the jump, we have the complicated emotions of a man who is a father and a commanding officer. I like Cisco. I'm going to ask this question and, and lose some street cred here. Is he the only Star Trek main captain or commander or what have you that is a father? Kirk has a son that he discovers once the son is... <laughs> An adult. I, I think he's count the that. only commanding officer at the time of his command who is raising children, I believe. I'm just thinking that. Yeah. At know. least of the main casts. Yeah, of the main the cast, shows. obviously. Yeah, that's, yeah. What I, that's what I'm referring to. I mean, yeah. I mean, O'Brien has his kids, but he's not a commanding officer. So that's right. Yeah. Good old O'Brien. Okay. So sorry. Uh, moving forward. Number number three for me. Number three. I'm going to have to do Captain Pike. Hmm. Specifically, Discovery season two, very different captain. He's got a, a different leadership style. He, he he quickly earns the respect of the crew, and and in, in doing so, my respect as well. Really grabs everyone and moves them along very very quickly. Uh, I think he's portrayed very well. He's got some depth. I mean, he uh, he gets a vision of his own death and still stays the course, or not his own death, but I guess is the accident that puts him in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And he still stays the course and does what needs to be done. Plus, he gets to you know be in charge of the Enterprise in the end. So that's pretty cool. That's so pretty yeah, cool. absolutely, Captain Pike. Specifically, Discovery. But I mean, he's cool in pretty much almost every version of him. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, minus you know the casual sexism of the pilot episode. <laughs> well, speaking of TOS, the next on my list is in fact Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Uh, while not the first captain of the Enterprise, the first captain of the Enterprise that we actually get to spend any time with. The 60s are weird. I think Kirk's a little underrated in terms of especially how he treats other people, but we'll get into that one day when we can. Uh, but no, Captain James T. Kirk, number three uh, on my list. Not in any order, because he'd be number one. I knew I knew Kirk was coming on your list. That's why I was confused that you <laughs> you gave the other two first. This is in no particular order. It's no, yeah, no particular order. No particular order. Uh, number four for me would absolutely uh, be Captain Kirk. He sets the standard very much like the original ship. Everything's going to be compared to him forever. You can't get away from it. I much prefer the Kirk of the movies than the Kirk of the show. He can be he can be a little cocky in the show, uh, a little too cocky for my tastes. But I think he does a great job leading the ship, bringing the crew together, and pushing them forward. So. While he is very different, and you're right, the 60s are weird. It is a, maybe a bit of a dated leadership style. I still think it. I think it's like it's great. All right. Number four on my list is Captain Catherine Janeway. Not just because I named my cat after her, but she holds a couple of distinctions. One, as far as I'm aware, she's the only Starfleet captain that ever integrated four um, members of the opposing force that she's trying to combat into her command. That was pretty neat. She also... Gets to spend the majority of her time outside in a completely different place than the rest of Starfleet. So we kind of get to see a captain acting like... The thing about Kirk and Picard is like they're they're Starfleet officers and captains, but they're also like they have direct, you know, orders coming from on high. In Voyager, they're pretty much, you know, stranded for most of the time. So we actually get to see her kind of be a commanding officer without having anyone over her. Mm, it's, pretty, yeah. it's pretty neat. It's pretty She's neat. on her own. Interesting. All right. I wasn't expecting that from you, honestly. But uh, okay. My last choice is going to be Captain James Tiberius Kirk of the Kelvin universe. Mm. 
Yes, yes. Not so much in Star Trek 2009. I think, obviously, and that's kind of the plot. He's very green. But in Into Darkness and then in Star Trek Beyond, I feel like he's different enough from the original Kirk at that point that I'm going to count him as a completely different captain and put him on my list. Okay. Hmm. Sorry if that's cheating. No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, my number five is an actually, in fact, Captain Morgan Bateson of the USS Bozeman. Oh, okay. I thought we were only doing main captains. No, any captain. Any no. captain or commander. Well, all right. Well, it's too late for me, but carry on. <laughs> uh, Morgan Bateson, portrayed most famously by Kelsey Grammer in uh, the Groundhog Day episode of Star Trek Next Generation. Great episode. Uh, nice yeah. little cameo. So, yeah. By KG. All right. All right. Fine. Fine. <laughs> I, I guess, I mean, I, I was going to bring up Captain Riker, Captain Sulu, but all right. I feel cheated. I said captain okay. slash commanders. It's you did. I'm just saying. You did. You did. I thought, you, yeah, it doesn't matter. You you put Captain Janeway on your list, so I'm fine. We've talked a lot about Star Trek on accident in our podcast, so it's kind of nice to sit down with you and and hash out a few of these few of these things and give the people a bit more insight into how we individually feel about you know some of the more debated topics mm-hmm. in Star Trek. But I got to say that um, I'm respecting you less and less. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. Speaking of moving on, we'd like to just kind of discuss First Contact, how it exists in both name and content. So famously, there's Star Trek First Contact, the movie. But there's also Star Trek First Contact, the episode. One is the Next Generation movie. The other one is in Season 4, Episode 15, First Contact. Kind of doing a little bit of a plot breakdown for either because it's going to be quick and fast. Star Trek First Contact, the Borg's comes to Earth to fight and finally eliminate the Federation, or Starfleet, I should say. They get fought off. They go back in time. Enterprise-E follows them back in time through a little subspace. More <laughs> whatever. More whatever, yeah. Yeah, who, who knows? They end up actually damaging the Phoenix. The Enterprise-E crew beams down. At the same time, they destroy, or they destroy the, the sphere, and then the Borg somehow get on the Enterprise, and while they're down on the planet, and the Enterprise is kind of being captured, and then blah, 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 blah. Save, they save the day. It's not important. And in First Contact, the episode, Commander Riker is actually on another planet doing a reconnaissance mission where there's an explosion. He gets injured. He's in the hospital or the surgery. And then they find out that he is not, in fact, one of them. And then um, he has to escape. Yeah. He's doing reconnaissance to see whether or not they should do First Contact. And they're right. There are more than just him, like integrated into their society for like a year now i think before the that those events so controversial take on first contact <laughs> so yes first contact the episode versus first contact the movie which is better it's gotta be the show right it's gotta be the episode oh mainly because it falls more in line with what trek is you know which is weird because it, it they're violating the prime directive right <laughs> Well, they're technically it's not the first episode where they're down yeah. there to observe. And it's not the first episode yeah. where we've seen them somewhere to observe whatever is happening on a, on a pre-warp civilization. Yeah. The interactions in that episode between Captain Picard and the leader of the planet are some of my favorite. Like, I love those scenes where Picard really lays down their values and lets them know, no, we're not going to give you all this technology right away. We're just yeah. here to say hello more or less we're here to help whenever you really need it and the leader of the planet really taking into account what the consequences of this would be like really looking at it big picture mm-hmm. I, I really find that interesting 
I really, really like yeah. the episode. I think it's one of my favorite episodes from from uh, Next Generation. However, it doesn't have the Borg in it. So <laughs> I'm going to have to go with the movie because the Borg are I, they're, they're great villains. I know they're a little simple when it comes to Star Trek villains, but it's it's cool and it's interesting to see see Starfleet or whoever try to fight a force that can't be reasoned with and they can't be outgunned. They only defeat the Borg because they outsmart them. And I think that that's what makes them amongst my favorite villains. Well, what's interesting about your choice to discuss the episode versus the movie is the Malkorians in the episode fear a lot of the same things that everyone else in the in the galaxy fears because of the Borg. There's like a, a highly controversial take that the Borg are actually the good guys in theory. What they're trying to do is assimilate everyone into a more perfect organism, more perfect structure, eliminating individuality, flaws, you know, violence, war in general. Because in their eyes, you know, becoming part of the Borg collective means you don't have to fight amongst yourselves. You don't have to have World War III. You don't have to have the eugenics wars. You don't have to have the Romulan-Klingon conflict. You know, you don't have to have any of that stuff. So in some ways, you could consider the Borg actually the good guys and Starfleet kind of the bad guys. They're the rebels resisting integration, right? So in the Star Trek episode of First Contact, we talked about the conversation between Picard and the the prime minister, whatever his name is, or chancellor, I think is who he is, Avel Durkin. He has those exact same fears and he expresses them, you know, that's what happens when you become part of a larger community is you lose more of that individualism because, you know, your values aren't going to be the same as everyone else's. Like in that, that famous episode of, that famous episode, um, it's that one episode of um, Lower Decks where Boimler, he has to be really rude to that guy. That's how, that's the only way he can interact. He's like, you gotta, yeah. you gotta be, you gotta be mean. I think even Wesley Crusher does the same thing during his entrance exam to Starfleet. He gets confronted by somebody who like, points to him and starts yelling at him and then he yells back and the guy like kind of leans back and respects him and then he even says you know they they find sincerity and being polite is offensive which why are they members of the federation if that's the case anyways uh (laughs) but uh no i i like the show or i like the episode i think a little bit more than the movie yes first contact is an action movie there's a lot of cool themes in it as well i mean we also get to have Riker engage in some first contact protocols of his own. He kind of just makes <laughs> them up on the fly a little uh, yeah, bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> crosses some lines. Yeah, yeah. I think in science fiction overall, when we talk about first contact, like one of three scenarios come to mind. There's the scenario that first contact day is celebrating, where aliens come to us, and it's the first time we're as a human race contacting a not human race. There's the type of first contact that happens most often in Star Trek, which is, hey, look, another ship. Let's go say hello, right? <laughs> yeah. Which we don't really, I don't know, we don't often think of that as first contact because they're on equal footing with us, but it is. It's first contact by definition. And then the third kind, I think the kind that in my mind comes up the most is when we're contacting a race that isn't quite there yet, right? We're interfering in some way. And not just in Star Trek, but in general science fiction. We land yeah. on some planet and go, hey, what's up, guys? We're here. We're just going to take your oil. You know, no, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, also, Hopefully we're like, not taking oil by the time we're <laughs> flying into space. Well, also, <laughs> another famous sci-fi franchise, Mass Effect. There's an entire plot point 
around a group of aliens called the Salarians who culturally uplift right. another race of aliens called the Krogan, and it throws the entire galaxy into chaos because yeah. of that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So it's a common science fiction topic because I think it's just it's an easy thing to happen and there's a lot of cultural and political ramifications thereof. So it's very interesting to oh, there's also to see the, it the in day a couple the, different ways. The, the day the earth stood still, that's a really famous example, right? Yeah, yeah. Independence Day, that's a pretty famous example. <laughs> yeah. Clatu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I was gonna ask you what your favorite first contact moment was from any any Star Trek franchise, any particular moment that you can think of off the top of your head that would be your favorite first contact moment. The episode of The Next Generation where Data is retrieving a probe from a planet where it crash landed. The planet is populated by people in, I don't know, I don't know what age that would be, but not modern. I guess bronze, maybe medieval a little bit. But there's an explosion, and he can't remember who he is, so he just walks into some town with half a face, more or less. And then, uh, or not half a face, but he's blown, uh, he gets half a face later on, but he's carrying the radioactive material, he doesn't know who he is, and even though he has none of his knowledge, he's able to basically save these people from themselves because they're buying and selling the radioactive material and it's making everyone sick. And he does that knowing that these people are, at the end of it, are going to try to hurt him kill him ends up saving mm-hmm. them anyways and then not remembering any of it i, I really enjoy that episode that's an interesting I, I don't know if you'd call that first contact or not because they I mean, don't know it is, yeah i mean that is there you go yeah. that's, that's what i'm rolling with well i mean because they were humans right no no they're aliens they're oh. aliens yeah they were i don't remember i don't remember what they look like they were a pre-industrial uh, society they just yeah, but they I looked like know. humans with markings on their face like paint mm, okay. yeah yeah i was gonna say like <laughs> Because there's also, there's other instances of where they, when they encounter civilizations for the first time that are human. Speaking of that episode with James Cromwell, where he's the guy in charge of an entire planet, and then there's these super soldiers, right? I don't know if you remember that episode, where that guy just spends the entire episode escaping every attempt to capture him. Like, right. That was, I guess, considered their first contact, but they're humans, so they I don't think it was first Earth. contact, necessarily. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. They do make first contact with humans in Discovery Season 2. They find a, a group of displaced humans from the, the 21st century mm-hmm. on a far planet. And they, you know, obviously they, they follow the Prime Directive and don't interfere, but they do end up making contact with them. So it's, okay. it's happened, but I don't, I don't know if, I don't think that's an example of it. Okay. My favorite instance of first contact is actually with the Kazon oh. from Star Trek Voyager in which... Um, Janeway, Tuvok, I think Chakotay, and another guy, Paris, uh, along with Neelix, beam down and meet uh, the Kazon. Essentially, they're trying to make a trade deal. And this, in fact, has been spurred the entire time by Neelix. He's trying to to get these two groups together so he can immediately sabotage the entire thing by rescuing Kess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But just a, a great way to start for his contact. Hey, man. You guys want some water? Pew, 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 pew. It's great. 10 out of 10. That's my favorite first contact moment. <laughs> okay. All right, give it. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Awesome. Well, we would love to hear y'all's favorite first contact moments. Maybe some of your opinions on why we're wrong about what movies and shows and captains and ships we like or don't like, or you're upset we didn't mention the Enterprise E or whatever it is. <laughs> Please email us. 
all of those opinions in long form to scifiwiseguys at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on social media. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at scifiwiseguys. If you don't know what either of those things are, you can also find us on Facebook, the <laughs> Sci-Fi Wise Guys podcast like, group, whatever it is. Join us there Something. for yeah. less anonymous conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and if you really, really liked what you heard, feel free to go on by your podcasting platform of choice. Drop a five-star review. We mentioned this a lot before in the past, and I'll bring it up again. But if you actually write something in your review, I'll read it. And then eventually, if enough people give us five-star reviews, we're actually going to give something away. So hurry up and do that, because I need to get rid of this stuff in my house. And just uh, stay healthy, stay hydrated, and live long and prosper. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Did you see the picture I sent you? I did see the picture. We didn't talk about uniforms. We didn't. So the one thing I got to say that I really like about Discovery's uniforms, all the versions of them, is the separation of the sciences and medical and that they have the white instead of a blue. Mm. It just never made sense to me that they were one, you know? I mean, they're both both science. Yeah, but there's different, it's different implementations. (laughs) I know. I mean, why do engineers were the why, electrical enge- engineering <laughs> and mechanical engineering are two different things? Why right, but if I need a one? medic, I need a you know what I mean. <laughs> like if I need yeah. if I need a doctor, I need a doctor. Damn it, Jim.